Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terra in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, 11 volumes available in paperback, ebook, and Kindle, and 10 of them at the moment in audiobook. So go out and have at it, folks. Uh, I'm going to start working on volume 11 in audiobook. Uh, I have two sessions booked the end of this month, and we will continue from there. And I'm also almost done, my friends, with volume 12. And uh, may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I am freezing, but other than that, I'm doing well. (laughs) I was on with uh, Richard Serrett last night on Coast to Coast. We had a good old time. And uh, if anybody has the opportunity, I encourage you to listen to that podcast or, or radio show. I think they put it up on YouTube. I've never checked that, but I think somebody told me that they do put it up on YouTube. Okay. Uh, I have a subscription to Coast. I've had that for many, many years. And uh, so I could just go on an app and listen to uh, Ian Punnett, uh, George Knapp, whoever I want to listen to, Richard, uh, George. And uh, But uh, it was a good show, and I think you'll find it to be... uh, very interesting and enlightening if you listen to it. We had a good time. Well, Bill, I'm sorry I didn't stay up from 1 to 3 a.m. to listen yeah. live, but uh, couldn't do it. Couldn't pull it off. Well, that's the thing. You know, uh, their radio show comes out of California at 10. Right. And I was on for the first half of the show, which is 10 to midnight, but that's 1 to 3 Eastern time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had the painter over my house yesterday, Kev. Got up really early for him. Uh, I was up early the day before for him as well. And, uh, you know, I was struggling late at night, and I started sucking down some coffee and uh, closed my eyes for a little while. And uh, But when the time came, boom, the horse was out of the gate. <laughs> and away we went. <laughs> Gotta close the deal. Let's go. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. But uh, that's good. I'm not, but seriously, I am sorry that I missed it live, but just could yeah, not maybe. pull that off. And folks, even down here where I am in North Carolina, it is cold. Like yeah. uh, less than 20 degrees. So uh, usually I was telling my brother, February is our tough month of the year, but January is uh, definitely uh, rocking and rolling with the chill. Yeah, we get, uh, I don't think the folks can hear it, and if you can, uh, 
uh, I have wind chimes on the front and back of my house, big, beautiful Woodstock wind chimes. Uh, I can hear them ringing a little bit even through my headphones oh boy. <laughs> with, the, with the wind blowing out there. Uh, it, we're in the single digits today. Oh, my goodness. So you got single digits up in New York, huh? Yeah, yeah, we don't have a one in front of our numbers. <laughs> it's it's O nine. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better, just a little bit. <laughs> but that's with the wind chill. If I look oh, at the okay. thermometer, it's like nineteen. All right, so we're similar in temperature. <laughs> oh my! That just ain't good. right. That you're sending your Yankee weather down here. <laughs> spring. I know some people out there, you love the winter and you have winter sports and uh, making snow angels and everything. And I say, you can keep it. <laughs> I'm right there with you. But every year of my life, the winter gets colder and longer. I don't know if it literally is true, but as far as my brain knows, it is true. <laughs> Listen, I'd rather ride a mini bike in the mud than ice skate. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Kev, what do we have in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Well, yeah, today? partially because of the cold, I'm sure. But the story that I'm covering uh, today is about a runner, specifically an ultra-marathon runner hmm. in Hawaii that had a terrifying encounter with a night marcher in the Hawaiian rainforest. Wow, man. I have heard a little bit about these night marchers, and it's pretty creepy. It is, it is. And I think I covered them over the years as a cryptid, but then I saw them come up in the news this week uh, in this Hawaiian story that was covered by a lot of different periodicals. And um, I figured, all right, let's uh, let's look at this again, and specifically we'll look, we'll apply it to the story as well. Yeah, very bizarre, the night marchers. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the night marchers themselves a minute, and then we'll get into the into the story. Okay. So these night watch, watchers are basically ghosts of the ancient tribal Hawaiian warriors. So, you know, if you go back in history, right, the Hawaii was a place where you had these warriors that would battle from island to island. And... Uh, you know, you think of Hawaii as the luau's and uh, flowered leis around your neck and all of the beautiful sunsets, but there were also some pretty vicious battles around that area in uh, ancient times, right? Yeah, interesting how these people of the same area, you know, felt like the, the need to go and kill others. Well, you know, they're fighting over whatever it is they wanted, just like today. Yeah. Yeah, I want your island. Well, you have an island. I want yours also. I want your coconuts. They taste better. <laughs> unbelievable, <laughs> man. Yeah, so, so where do we go? Yeah, man? so Let's on see. these nights, when the night marchers come out, it's believed that they come forth from their burial sites or even that they rise up from the ocean. And hmm. they march typically, or they're rumored to march typically, in a large group toward these ancient Hawaiian battle sites or other sacred places. Mm. Very crazy. Now, don't people see these things like what they see like 
torches they or do. lights they, in they, the they woods. They see drums. the lights typically, and they hear them. So they uh, they're also like um, they hear the chanting going along when they're marching, and they uh-huh. hear the sounds of the conch shells being blown. You know, they use those as horns, right? Uh-huh. And uh, and then they also say that they smell a foul and musky death-like odor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, can you say demon? Well, yeah, they are coming back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the people that, you know, have seen them uh, closer, they say that they are actually, you know, normal human size. Um, they don't leave any trails, though, so any tracks. So it's like they're marching just above the ground or just above the water because sometimes mm-hmm. they see them coming across the water. Mm-hmm. And then the legend has it that if you look at them and make contact, you will die a hideous and painful death. Nice, you know, yeah. invitation only, of course. Well, you know. So this woman, it's interesting, so she saw what she believes to be one, and there is a picture of it, too, that I'll post on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, under Podcast 233, which is this podcast. She lived to tell about it, and that's actually got a little bit of controversy surrounding it from the locals, believe it or not. Now, she took this picture? Uh, her friend took the picture of her looking at the night wa- night marcher. So they were together. Yeah. So she, she was she running was like st- in this hundred mile ultramarathon race that we're going to talk about, and then she had a pacer with her, which I understand these people normally have. You know, so it could be their friend, you know, their spouse or whatever. Somebody usually keeps them a little bit of company, not for the hundred miles but for certain legs of the race. Oh, so a, a fellow runner for certain legs. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because I know when some of these people are practicing, somebody might trail them dragging along in a car. Yeah, but this is or, a trail run, so you're in the, yeah. in the rainforest. And it turns out it's a 100-mile run wow. on the island of Oahu. And it was interesting, though, when I read about it, it's five 20-mile loops. So you do oh this loop God. through the rainforest. That's a 20-mile loop, and you do that five times. Fantastic. Sounds like nothing, right? Uh, I could knock know, that out. I could have done it this morning, but I had this podcast <laughs> to do. <laughs> oh, my God, five 20-mile loops. Plus, it's cold here, so, you know. I mean, if I was oh, in Hawaii, yeah. I would have done it. Yeah, if you had a little uh, straw hat on and... Uh, you know, thonga malanga with your Nikes on or whatever. Yeah, and a flowered lay around my neck because I'm in Flowered lay, you know, you could, uh, <laughs> could knock it out. <laughs> 100%. So, so that's the night marchers. Let's talk some more about um, the, uh, the, per, the, the woman and her sighting, okay? Uh-huh. So this woman, her last name is Borleus was competing in what's called the HURT, appropriately named, I'm sure it's an acronym for something, H-U-R-T, 100-mile race, a grueling 20-mile loop through Oahu's Honolulu-Mauka Trails that participates run around this loop five times, right? Mm -hmm. 
The runner said the race is especially brutal due to the numerous obstacles, including thick, mud-caked roots, numerous water crossings, cliffs, and steep, rocky inclines. Nice place to jog, right? Sounds no, good. No, chan- no chance of injury or turning one's What's ankle. What's better than doing it once? Let's do it five times. <laughs> Which for, That's why they call it the hurt. Which I'm going on a tangent here because I have to. I don't know if you uh-huh. ever heard um, Robin Williams, the late Robin Williams, do his description of the Scottish inv- inventing the game of golf. Uh, no. Oh my goodness! You, you got to look it up. Uh, um, so, so Robin Williams, folks. Some of you have seen it. If you haven't, you got to look it up. You'll be laughing out loud, especially if you play any golf. But it reminds me of this five times around. He describes it, and he's like. And, you will, and I don't have a good Scottish brogue, but he does it in a great Scottish brogue. But he's like, yeah, you'll take this hard, raucous, hard ball, hit it. And they're like, oh, what do you hit it with? Oh, you put this little thing on the end of a stick, and then you hit the ball. And it's like, oh, that sounds awful. It's like, well, that's not it. You know, you, you hit it <laughs> towards something that's 400 yards away. And and then we put in sand and water and this and that, you know, and you hit it in this tiny hole. And they're like, oh, my God, you know, that must take all day. You know, you do that once. And he's like, no, you do it 18 times. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry for the tangent, but it reminded me. Yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff. You know, we have to laugh at ourselves sometimes, the things we uh, take on. Yep. So back to the race. Yeah, yeah. She says, Borlea says, the competition was going swimmingly mm. until she injured her foot during the second to last lap. So wow. I guess she's on the fourth lap, and she had to pull out of the race, <clears throat> marking wow. the first time she'd ever done so in her ultramarathon career. So apparently <laughs> she's done this race many times and done other ultramarathons many times. And she says that's when things took a turn for the terrifying. Huh. She said Borlea's pacing partner, Cassie, sent a bunch of photos from her race to her mom and friends. And again, I'm going to post one of those. And she says it was a live moving photo that showed a dark figure dressed in a cloak moving past me while I was running wrote Borlaeus while describing the alleged night marcher encounter. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, hint, 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 dark figure wearing a cloak. Yeah, yeah. So she says, the accompanying footage shows Borlaeus jogging along the shady jungle trail when all of a sudden a shadowy entity emerges from the foliage and walks past her. However, neither the ultramarathoner nor her running partner recalled passing a person on that strip of trail. So this mm-hmm. is a classic thing where they're videotaping or taking, taking pictures and videotaping. And what they mean by that live motion, you know, on your iPhone, maybe on your Android too. Sometimes when you take a picture, it's taking several, many exposures to get the single picture. So when you look at it in live mode, you can see what happens before and what happens after. The, oh, okay. the actual picture. I think that's what they're talking about. So mm-hmm. when they started to look at this after the race, they see this person or entity walking past them on the strip of trail. 
Wow. Um, they say the reason why no one was on that part of the trail is because all runners had to run in a clockwise direction. And this creature was going in the opposite direction. And tourists, of course, were not out that early. We didn't see anyone for hours while running together. So we you mean there were there were no uh, dark shadowy tourists. No, wearing no, no black cloaks. Apparently, there were no black-eyed children either. <laughs> Asking to use your telephone <laughs> while you're out running. <laughs> Hi, you doing? You were doing rather well today until that unfortunate incident. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder what you actually tripped over. <laughs> Maybe it was my foot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to the story again. She says that uh, they were certain at the time, and they are still certain that there was no one else there on uh, this trail while they were running. Wow. All right. So, alarmed by seeing the pictures after the race, Borlaeus did some digging about the area where they learned about the local legend of these night marchers, which were ghosts that roam the forest there, who are, dece- who are ghosts of deceased Hawaiian warriors, right, like we covered. And um, these, these uh, night marchers, you know, the, the commonality is they do travel at night, and apparently they are known to travel in this part of Oahu as well. Mm. Very interesting, you know. And, uh, yeah, uh, many people have uh, reported, as is the case with other uh, entities, Seeing these things, you yep. know, they're they're ongoing. They're like resident uh, evils, in my opinion. And did you see this, Kev? Have you looked over these uh, the picture? Is it just one solitary picture or a number? They have of a couple them? of pictures of her running, and then they have a picture of her back while she's running, and this creature in front of her uh, looking at her. What does it look like? Can you see any facial yes, features? Yes, yes. So you can see. So, boy, this is hard to describe. So Go ahead. Give it a it shot. It looks like uh, uh, it's human for sure. It's not a bear. Right. Um, and it looks like if you took a human and you dipped them in dark green paint Ugh. and you put shredded kind of dark gray rags over them, almost like a poncho. Yeah. That you shred it. Uh-huh. And uh, so the face is this green color. The chest, you know, where like the V of like a poncho would be is this green color. And the right. hair looks dark, but also kind of greenish. Yeah. Kind of like Lily Munster in color. <laughs> <Kadia>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Tattered, green, very attractive, obviously. Yeah, so I did promise you that, uh, you know, the local Hawaiian people were not happy about this report. So let me tell you about that. Okay. So when she uploaded the pics and the story to social media, unfortunately, the cross-country competitor was swarmed by haters who called her and Cassie Howleys, which is a local, uh, uh, you know, negative name for white people. 
you know, outsiders. Nice. No bigotry, of course, was no, involved. No, here. and they said um, that they wished she'd actually <coughs> met a night marcher for real so that she would die a violent death. Nice. Nice. Nice, you know, well-wishers. Yeah. And then they said some accused Borlias of doctoring the image, while others claimed it was just some druggie wandering up on the trail. Yeah, in tattered clothes that happened to be tinted green. It would have to be one uh, serious druggie, to tell you the truth here. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a freak show. Yeah, there's no end to the nonsense that people kick around. Just hearing that kind of disturbs me more yeah. than the image. Yeah, but I'll, I'll post the image at uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com under episode 233. And folks, write in under Contact Us and tell us what you think of the image. And certainly, if any of you out there in uh, Hawaii, in this case Oahu, have run into a night watcher or heard of a relative running or friend running into a night marcher, um, tell us about it. Yeah, interesting, Kev. Very interesting. Good job with that. Now, I got... Uh, this testimony that I'm about to read to you uh, really got my attention. And this is what Debbie Stillman uh, saw while she was out jogging uh, in August of 2011. So what is that, about 12 years ago? Sounds right, maybe uh, 13. Yeah, so she said that my girlfriend and I had decided to spend the weekend in Elk Prairie Campground, California, which is located at the Prairie Creek Redwoods State Park in a town called Oric. The two of us are avid runners, so after breakfast, we slipped on our sneakers and went out for a run. Our plan was to take the Cal Barrel to Rhododendron Trail, which is about a four-mile loop. Depending on how we were feeling, we were also open to cutting down some secondary trails. Most of this area is extremely... Now, Kev, isn't it funny I'm reading this today and you were just talking about this lady running through the woods in a while. Exactly. Complete coincidence. Yeah, most of this area is extremely difficult to run in, with the trails being very narrow and tight and cut between large trees, hills, ferns, and felled trees. Even though we intended to run, we often found ourselves speed walking and taking in the scenery around us. Even during bright, sunny days, the forest here feels almost mystical. There are glimpses and glimmers of sunlight shimmering through the canopy of this magnificent old-growth redwood forest. Everywhere, the space between the trees is filled with these ferns and floating haze. In places, there are really old hollowed-out or tunneled trees that form open arches, and just beckon you to walk through them. We had quite a lot of fun climbing around and through them. Well, well into our run, we had already veered off the trail and opted for a secondary fork, where we stopped to take a look around at the foliage surrounding us. After a moment, my girlfriend asked, what the heck is that? She was pointing at a large redwood off to our right. I hadn't seen anything, 
but she told me that she had just seen something duck behind a large tree. About two minutes later, I finally saw it. The top of a head and a single eye peered out from the side of the tree. It was a furry head and looked like that of a gorilla or a large chimpanzee. As soon as we had set eyes on it, the creature ducked back behind the tree. Just as quickly, it jumped from that tree to the next one over. It was a leap of well over 10 feet or more, and the creature had performed it in one clean motion. It moved so fast that if we hadn't already been watching it, I believe we would have missed it entirely. This was no little monkey. It must have been crouching down when we first caught a glimpse of it, because when it jumped, we could see that it was about seven or eight feet tall and wide. My girlfriend put both of her hands against her mouth, her mouth and said, Oh my God, it's a Bigfoot. With that, we quickly turned and started walking away in the same direction from which we had come. I kept looking over my shoulder and I saw it dart into the woods in the same direction in which we were now heading. There are so many parts of this forest where your visibility is very limited by a host of different things. The enormous trees, huge downed trunks, the ferns, and the dappled light filtering through the canopy all conspire to hide any number of things that might be lurking within the forest. Increasingly panicked, we began to break into a run and I could hear the thing running in the woods next to us. It was flanking our movements and keeping pace with us. I saw its body briefly flash by an opening in the underbrush once or twice, and I was so frightened that tears were rolling down my cheeks, and I couldn't stop them. My girlfriend screamed, worried that it was going to attack us. She said, God, please help us, please help us. She was shouting this as we were running. Branches were whacking us in the face like a dozen whips. And as we passed between some tightly packed trees, my pinky finger caught on the edge and broke, moving clean out of the side of my hand with a sharp snap. I didn't dare look down, but I knew it was bad and we kept running. As best as I could tell, we were still at least three miles from camp, and this thing that I will now call a monster was still trailing us. I could hear it puffing and grunting, and it couldn't have been more than 40 feet off to our side. I grabbed my still panicking girlfriend and told her that she had to stop or she was going to have a heart attack. Her chest was pounding in and out from crying and running. She said, we can't stop, it will kill us. I said to her, if it wanted to kill us, it would have done so already. I then picked up a hefty branch and gave it to her and then grabbed another one for myself. I told her to try to calm down a little. We would keep moving fast, but there was no way that we continued to outrun this thing. At least now we had a weapon. We kept walking fast and my girlfriend kept sobbing. 
I could still hear the Bigfoot cracking and smashing its way through the brush. And I couldn't help wondering why it wasn't exposing itself or even charging us. Maybe this was some crazy game. After all, it had, it had been hiding behind the trees when we first saw it. Even then, it could have rushed us right then and there and been done with it, but it hadn't. After a few long minutes, I realized that I couldn't hear it anymore. And another half mile later, I was convinced that it must have left. We stopped where we were and just stood there for a while, gasping and hugging and telling each other that everything was going to be fine. When we got back to camp, I got an ambulance ride to get my fingers splinted after we reported what had just happened to the park rangers. They were completely blown away by our report and we could see them going into the trail as the ambulance was taking us out. Now, I asked Debbie to tell me all the details she could remember from the few moments they had seen the creature, and this is what she said to me. When I first saw it, I only saw a small piece of its head and one black eyeball before it ducked back behind this huge redwood. Based on the height of what I had seen at the time, I thought it was about four feet tall. But when it jumped, its height had doubled to maybe seven or eight feet. The area over which it had leapt had been at least 10 feet wide, and I don't know anything that can do such a thing. During that jump, we saw it fairly well, and it was either reddish blonde or a reddish gray in color. The lighting had not been good enough to pinpoint the exact color, and it happened quickly. The hair on its head was noticeably longer than the hair covering the body. It had very long and muscular legs and arms, just like all the pictures you have seen through the years. And for the record, its feet were big. I could see the hair hanging off of them, the feet that is, while it was in the air and very briefly and I saw that its back and rump were covered in all kinds of debris. As we began to run, I saw it again out of the corner of my eye, but only briefly. From that angle, I couldn't glean anything more than I already had, but I will say that I don't know how anything could run crashing through the brush like that thing without being badly hurt. And there you have it. Another encounter in Northern California. Yeah, redwood forest, ferns, deadfall, great hiding places. I'm sure there's all kinds of critters and things to munch on in there. And uh, a couple of joggers, like the woman in Oahu. This is a dangerous jog. You know, you're in a trail, deadfall. Yeah, I've I've walked around uh, quite a few times in the redwoods in Northern California, and I really wouldn't think about running up there because, you know, even when you're walking, it's so quiet because if you can imagine the ground you're stepping on is so soft, you know, it's kind of like the... uh, Spongy. Yeah, it's like the mulch and moss, and I mean, you you know, you you can't hear your footprints. There's no sticks or anything that you're stepping on along the mm-hmm. 
along the uh, hiking paths. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you want to be careful, though. Like, if you're running, especially, like, forget Bigfoot. Don't forget him, but we'll come back to him. But even a bear, you know, if you come up on him quickly, they don't hear you coming, especially if you're coming from uh, um, downwind of them. They don't even smell you coming, and you don't want to startle a mama and her cubs, let alone uh, a Bigfoot, whether it uh, appears to be four feet tall or seven feet tall. Yeah, and you know, Kev, people just aren't thinking. Isn't that the truth? Well, you they're know, not, they're they're they're, they're out having a good time, any... and they're not worried about what might go wrong, right? Right, exactly. They're not planning for uh, disaster. They're just out having a good time. Right. And I remember, like, even fishing wise, I'd go out with my friend John, and you know, these guys all they brought was their fishing pole and their bag of uh, plugs and stuff, you know. And I, I remember saying to him one day, when was the last time you swam 100 feet in salt water? <laughs> uh, we were talking about safety equipment in the boat. Yeah. And I says, what would you do if you fell overboard here in a two-foot chop, a hard current, the water's pretty cold, and now you got to swim a quarter of a mile or a half a mile just to get to a beach. You know, you're not considering the ramifications of your actions, you know what I mean? That doesn't end well. No, no. And I'm like, man, I want everything. Bells, whistles, throw pillows, <laughs> life jackets, you know. Inflatable I'll, I'll take, air mattress so I can lay yeah, on it, wh- get a little whatever snooze. Whatever you got, you know. Maybe a sail so, uh, so I could sail it in somewhere. I don't want to have to paddle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Give me whatever you got, and I'll be happy to work around it in the boat. Hmm. But, uh, it, yeah, these these two ladies going out for a little jog. Dark. Da- I like what she said, dappled lighting through the canopy. So you got Yeah, this. and it's pretty dark and shady, you know, in the Redwood Forest, even on the brightest mm-hmm. sunny day, right? I mean, it's a, it's kind of a form of a rainforest, right? It's a yeah. unique. It's foggy and moist, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. beautiful, by the way. Spectacular. Yeah, no, I'm sure it is beautiful, which is what draws you in, Absolutely. right? It lures you in to partake of it, yeah. you know? 100%. But here's this monkey turned Bigfoot now flanking them and toying with them or whatever the heck this thing was doing as they're running and screaming. Of course, the Bigfoot doesn't give a hoot if you're running and screaming. It, whatever it's doing, it's doing, and you're just losing your mind, you know? Oh, at first when you said monkey, I thought you were going to start talking about a circus train. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about Peter Tall. Circus train! <laughs> yeah, so that's it, Kev. Pretty interesting, huh? Very cool. I love that yeah. account. Yeah, good stuff, man. And folks, by the way, uh, I always say this. If you've seen something, say something. You go to our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, hit the contact button, and uh, leave me some information, and we'll get together. I'd love to hear what you have to say, what you've seen, what you've experienced, or even what you think. Like Kevin said, you know, tell us what you think. Yeah. Yeah, what's your yeah. opinion? We want to know. We want to know. <laughs> so what do we have in our listener mail, Kevin? So speaking of opinions, let's go to listener mail. So mm-hmm. our first email comes in from Jenny. 
And she says, hello, gentlemen. I really enjoy your podcast. I started listening about a year ago, and now I'm catching up on the older episodes. I just wanted to let you know that I think the creepiest thing on the podcast is when Kevin changes his voice and starts talking like the black-eyed children. Maybe he is a Mm black-eyed child. She says it's so funny and creepy at the same time. (laughs) He sounds like some oddball you want to hide your kids from. (laughs) I just love it. Keep up the great work and take care of yourselves. And and Jenny, take care of yourself, too. (laughs) And if you have one of those ring cameras... Watch out for the black-eyed children, because they can actually see you through the ring camera. (laughs) Hi. Hi. Hi, Jenny. Can we borrow your phone? We just need a ride. Yeah. I think you're cute. (laughs) (laughs) How come you're not smiling now? Want to see my fang teeth? (laughs) They match perfectly with my black eyes. (laughs) Yeah, we love the black-eyed children, Jenny. They are creepy. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But my imitation of the black-eyed children does not in any way suggest that I behave like a black-eyed children. (laughs) That's right. Oh, Kevin, just made me laugh. Some oddball you'd hide your children from. <laughs> and I don't drive a white van. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Thanks for the chuckle. Thanks good. for that the chuckle. One, uh, all right, our next email comes in from Craig in Texas. Uh-huh. This is pretty interesting, Bill. He says, Dear Bill and Kevin, This is not a story about Sasquatch, per se, but it Uh is interesting nonetheless. I fly for a major airline and spend a lot of time talking to pilots with all kinds of different flying backgrounds. Once we get to cruise altitude and uh, the workload becomes very low, we'll typically sit back and chat. We talk about all kinds of things, from sports to hunting and fishing, flying, marriage, and whatever. On one occasion, about 15 years ago, I was paired with a co-pilot who was quite a bit older than I was, which was somewhat unusual at that point in time, as I almost always flew with younger guys than myself. On this very routine day, once we leveled off somewhere in the 30,000-foot level or so, For the two-hour cruise, I asked him what his flying background was and how he came to be flying with me at that company. He explained that he had been a bush pilot for most of his career until a sick relevant and sorry, until a sick relative and subsequent move to Texas necessitated seeking alternative employment. He planned to return to Alaska and finish out his career doing what he really loved as soon as the situation in Texas was resolved. He mentioned that he'd grown up flying, hunting, and fishing. In addition to being a pilot, he'd been a hunting guide as well as a fishing guide, and he'd worked in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and Alaska over the course of his career. 
At some point during the conversation, I asked him halfway seriously if he'd ever seen a Sasquatch. He didn't answer. I asked again, thinking he didn't hear me. Again, he did not respond, but looked straight ahead. I tapped my headset mic and asked if he could hear me, to which he replied, I heard your question. If you want to make light of the subject, I have nothing to say. I immediately, huh. yeah, I immediately responded that I wasn't making fun of him and that I really wanted to hear what he knew. He began talking and shared many stories over the next several days we were flying together. I should wow. have taken notes, as I do not recall the specifics of his many anecdotes, many of which made my skin crawl and hair stand up. But what is most interesting is that at one point during our conversation, he looked at me and said very plainly that his mother, father, and both brothers, who flew and guided as well, had all seen them and indeed had no doubts of their existence. He apologized for being rude earlier, but said he, he has to be careful with whom he shares his stories with. <coughs> All right. And interesting, interesting, Kev, how the conversation was started kind of ad hoc. I know. Well, it makes and sense, though, the, right? You know, you're you're going through all your checklists and everything. You're concentrating on getting the plane off the ground, doing everything correctly, getting all the safety stuff checked. And then once you level off, put it on autopilot, you start catching up with one another. Yeah. You know, Kevin, I want to share something with you and the listeners that uh, Richard and I were talking about last night on Coast. Yeah. Uh, you are familiar, of course, with the Bauman encounter oh, yeah. from uh, the Wilderness Hunter, Teddy Roosevelt's book. Yeah. And we've discussed it at length that why would Teddy have this fictional goblin story, as he named it, in this book that's just chock full of data and factual uh, happenings and events. And our discussion was that Maybe Teddy Roosevelt actually had this encounter, and rather than assigning himself as the person who had the experience, created the character of Bauman and his trapping partner. And I said to Richard, it, it's not a stretch to think, we have no proof of this, right? It's not a stretch to think that somebody who may have even at that time had been tapped on the shoulder by one of the political parties or had political aspirations, which we know he attained, would not want to associate himself directly with such an encounter, but still felt the need to get it off his chest. Right. Now, what do you think of that? I, I think it's valid. It's a good way yeah. to to uh, bring the story forward, but not... Uh, not potentially taint himself and his political right. aspirations while doing it. Right. And, of course, uh, what I said to Richard was that if that was true, the mindset was the same then as it is now, that there are many people, no matter who they are or what walk of life they're in, like this pilot conversing with his co-pilot or vice versa, was not willing to just step uh, into the abyss and start, you know, flapping his jaws about Bigfoot sightings. 
but uh, it's it's a weird thing, Kev. One hundred percent, totally weird. Yeah. So uh, interesting. And thanks for that guy writing in. What was his name, Kev? Ah, his name was. Craig in Texas, and he also finished up, by the way, Bill, saying, uh, for what it's worth, I've read half of your literary canon, and I love the podcast with you and Kevy. I haven't been called Kevy before, but I don't know. <laughs> and he says, Feliz Nuevo Año, or Happy New Year, uh-huh. your hermano in Christ. Uh-huh. Happy New Year, your brother in Christ. That's yeah, what that exactly. is. Exactly. Feliz, Feliz Nuevo Año, Craig. Yes. From Romano and Cristo. From Kevy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kevy. Well, that's it, Bill, for this week. Uh, good podcast and uh, great encounters from an ultra marathoner and a a uh, couple of young ladies out running in the Redwood Forest. Folks, if you mm. haven't left us a five-star review lately, please give us one on your favorite podcast player. It is virtually the only means we have of attracting new listeners to our podcast. And we love hearing from you. So Happy New Year again for the 20th time now. Hope you're staying warm wherever you are in the world in this uh, chilly January. And don't worry, the days are getting longer. Yeah, and folks, go out and buy some books, audio books, paperbacks. Uh, it'd be much appreciated. I have a lot of time and effort going into these things. And remember, if you should find yourself walking, jogging through the Redwood Forest in Northern California, or anywhere else for that matter, you best remember one thing, my friends. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.